proper racing is here again. Super League Triathlon is back, or it was back last weekend, and it's bigger, bolder, and better than ever before. Or is it? Yes, there were amazing moments and incredible footage of the athletes taking part, but was it all it could have been? On today's episode, we're looking at the good, the bad, and the ugly of the Super League Triathlon Arena Games from London. You want reaction? You want my honest opinion? You've come to the right place. Let's get things started. So, what about that then? Were you watching at the weekend? The biggest show in town, Super League Triathlon, has been and gone, and this time it brought its band of top-end triathletes to the Olympic Park in London. It took place last Saturday, and there was a men's race, a women's race, and seven fantastic paratriathlon categorised events. It featured huge names known right across the world, such as Johnny Brownlee and current world champion Georgia Taylor-Brown, and also tempted long-distance legends like Tim Don and Lucy Charles Barkley to get involved with some unfamiliar super sprint distance racing. The camera angles were visually breathtaking. There was a great combination of virtual footage and real-life footage, and it was broadcast, well, most of it was, we'll come back to that later, to more than 175 countries and went out live on the BBC website giving a whole new army of sports fans the chance to get a glimpse into the world of triathlon. And all of that is really, really positive. But was it all positive? Or could it have been done better? The short answer to that question is yes. Yes, it could have been better, like anything in life. Justin Bieber, that great philosopher, once said, I made mistakes growing up. I'm not perfect. And maybe... In a slightly similar way, Super League Triathlon can learn to grow from its mistakes. Anything for a Bieber reference. So, today I want to spend a bit of time going through the good, the bad and the ugly. What was great, what wasn't so good and what was just downright depressing. But, before I get into those issues, let's have a quick rundown of who came out on top. The big winners were as follows. In the women's race, the top three was an all-British affair. In third place, Sophie Caldwell. In second place, Lucy Charles Barkley. And top of the podium was Beth Potter. It's good to finally get a race and just like show everyone what, what I've been doing. Just felt relaxed, I felt ready for it. And uh, yeah, it's just nice to race again. In the men's race, again there was a British athlete on the podium with Alex Yee coming third. Our friend Eustace Nieschlag from Germany Winner of the last event in Rotterdam, came second this time, and top of the pile was Belgium's Martin van Riel. Yeah, I'm super happy to yeah, finally be in between these guys again and yeah, to come out on top, I didn't really expect that because yeah, there were a lot of the big names were here today. In the paratriathlon events, these events had anything from one to five competitors racing in each category, so I'll give an honourable mention to the winners from all seven events. In the PTS4 male category, Michael Taylor won. PTS5, female category, our old pal Claire Cashmore came out on top. In the male PTS5 category, again, another person who has appeared in this podcast over the past year, George Peasgood, took the title. In the PTVI category for visually impaired athletes, 
In the female event, Alison Peasgood, who is George's sister-in-law, won that event. And in the PTVI event for male athletes, Dave Ellis, who coincidentally is Claire Cashmore's partner, took the honours. And finally, in the PTWC category for wheelchair athletes, the female event was won by Margaret Edema, and the male event was taken by the fantastic 10-ton truck of a man, Yetze Platt. Those are your results lists, and that's where the medals found a home. But let's get back into the details. Let's strip back each event and look at where the action happens. And we're going to start by taking a dive into the good. And there was plenty of that. First of all, Beth Potter, who won the women's event. Magical stuff. She took a lot of people by surprise on Saturday. And at the last Olympics, Beth wasn't even a triathlete. She was a track runner, competing in the 10,000 metre event in Rio. She has since moved across to triathlon, and even though she's had one or two great race wins over the past year, this still felt like her breaking into the limelight. What a runner though. Like, yes, I know she was an elite runner coming into triathlon, but I'll say it again, what a runner. And even before she became a pro track runner, she was a physics teacher in London. But she can run. Absolute speed merchant. She clearly has more than one string to her bow, and she didn't look at all out of place in the water or on the bike, but she knew where her strength was. And after very much holding her own on those other two disciplines, when it comes to the run, she was in a class of her own, and it was basically a case of her hopping onto the treadmill, turning to the others and saying, see you later. Next, we need to touch on Lucy Charles Barkley's swimming. She made the others look average. Lucy has been a great advert for the sport of triathlon. Her and her partner Reese have a fantastic YouTube channel that's really worth subscribing to. Huge amount of fun, so get on that YouTube channel. But her swimming is something else. And she's a long distance athlete, so she's used to quite literally swimming miles in races. But even in this very, very short course event, she made the others look average. Look at Lucy swim. She's going to hit the front by 75 metres. You've got to look at Caldwell on that in lane three. She needs to move up on Potter, which she's doing, and she needs to follow Lucy Charles Barclay. Easier said than done. Follow Lucy Charles Barclay. Pity you can't just go under the lane rope and jump on the feet. <laughs> Sophie Caldwell, who ended up coming third, was also very impressive in the pool. But for an iron distance athlete in her day job, Lucy went up and down that pool like a dolphin with an outboard engine. It was staggering to watch. She just left the others in her wake. More good? <laughs> the next good thing, or slightly worrying thing if you're his doctor, was Gordon Benson's heart rate. In the male elite event, Gordon managed to hit 209 beats per minute during one of the runs. <laughs> like, I've always been led to believe that your maximum heart rate is 220 minus your age, which would make mine, at 32 years old, 188 beats per minute and occasionally I get to towards that at the top of a tough climb on my bike but Gordon Benson was hitting 209 on the treadmill oh he's a classy triathlete we all know that from his selection to compete uh, alongside the Brownlee brothers for Team GB in Rio but yeah he's still not afraid to lay it all out there for a big performance and in putting out that sort of heart rate he got the same runtime as Alex Yee on one of the runs that's nuts. 
Like when you look at the frame of Gordon Benson, and if you don't know much about Alex Yee, he's pretty much the fastest runner in triathlon, full stop. He's got the second fastest park run time ever. He's a sub 13.30 5K runner. So for big Gordon Benson to match him, oh, kudos, sir. And finally, I want to give an honourable mention to Yetza Platt. As I touched on a few minutes ago, this man has the most frightening upper body I think I've ever seen on a triathlete. He is a unit. On his hand bike, he averaged over 300 watts throughout the event. Yetze Platt, you just saw, unbelievable Dutch world and Paralympic champ, very strong. He averaged 300 watts on the hand cycle and won by more than three minutes in his. Like I went out in the cycle earlier on today and averaged about 150 watts. I couldn't get close to his average on a standard bike with years of training. Just a beast. Oh, actually, I almost forgot. There's one more thing I want to mention in, in the things I liked about the day. Another triathlete who's appeared in this podcast before is the brilliant, brilliant Vasco Velasa. We love him. Huge fan. And Vasco in the first stage of the men's event sort of stole the show for two reasons. One, he absolutely emptied himself, ended up winning that first stage. So we thought, hang on, is Vasco going to win the whole thing? It looks like Velas is going to get it. He's going to pick it up. There he is. He's good. He is good. He timed that perfectly. And basically just blew up after that. He put everything into the first stage, didn't really pace himself all that well, but it was great to watch. Second thing that we loved about Vasco on Saturday was that his bike avatar on Zwift was wearing a beret. Or, like, was it a Peaky Blinders sort of cap? Like, the kind of thing you'd see Alan Shearer wearing pitch side at a Friday night FA Cup match. Like, that is next level showboating. Steaming past your opposition in stage one, looking like you're about to hop off your bike and head to some Parisian cafe and catch up with the morning news over a croissant. Outstanding. They should 100% give 10 extra points for fashion choices on Zwift. I would back that. I'm very keen for virtual racing to continue if the athletes get on board with Vasco's idea of dressing up your characters on screen in ridiculous costumes. Basically, I want Zwift racing to feel as much like Mario Kart as is humanly possible. And if anyone from Zwift or Super League Triathlon is listening, I will pay substantial money if one of the athletes at the next race is allowed to race as Bowser or Luigi out of Mario Kart. I'm just saying. I think it would infinitely improve things. In terms of the bad, I feel like bad isn't the term I want to use, but not as good as we expected maybe would be a better heading for this part of the episode. But Johnny Brownlee is still not quite on top form. When it comes to short course racing, is he past his best? Is he still able to contend with the youngsters coming through? Do you think he will move up the distances sooner than he planned to? He is a legend and will be serious competition for anyone at the Tokyo Olympics this year. And we shouldn't forget that he's the only definite male member of Team GB's Olympic lineup so far. Nobody else has been announced yet on the men's team. He is one of the very, very best ever. But I always felt that When Ali Brownlee stepped up to Ironman racing, like he did a couple of years ago, that would be when we would see Johnny really shine. No more would he be a support act to his older brother, but he'd be able to let loose and take the triathlon world by storm on his own. 
Like I pictured him winning multiple back-to-back world champs, winning the Tokyo Olympics. But now I'm not so sure. It's starting to feel more and more like he was at his best when him and Ali were together in races, working as a team, drafting off each other's hips in the swim, dragging the front pack along on the bike, working as a duo to shake everyone else off when it came to the run. But now Johnny looks a bit lost. I I don't want to lose hope. And I'm not saying he won't be able to do it and win gold in Tokyo. He's got the experience, the stamina, the talent. But does he deep down believe that he can do it without Alistair? Or does he actually feel a little bit lost without his brother by his side on race day? Please, don't get me wrong. He did not have a disaster on Saturday. He was really solid and finished joint third with Alex Yee. But does he still have it in him to dominate opponents like he used to over the sprint distances? I just don't know. Time will tell. The other athlete, another British athlete, who I possibly expected more from was Georgia Taylor-Brown. World champ only a few months ago and not quite at it on Saturday. Always looked slightly off the pace. Now, is she timing things perfectly to peak right on time for Tokyo? Or is she also suffering from the after-effects of lockdown fatigue? Or did she just, understandably, not appreciate having a mic placed into her hands and a TV camera shoved in her face one minute before the race started? I like the interaction. I do. But there have to be better times to do it than one minute before the race starts while you have a swim cap and a pair of goggles on ready to go. It was a bit like... That American broadcaster who hooked Brad Guzan, the American goalkeeper, up to a microphone during an MLS football match so he could talk to the audience watching on TV through what all his teammates were doing around him. If I was competing in the Super League Arena Games, I'd almost choose not to win the first stage so Annie didn't come at me with a microphone in the two-minute break. It's not Annie's fault. Annie, respect what you do and think you're a great presenter, but I wouldn't choose to have you come at me with a microphone. Georgia ended up 5th out of 10 athletes, safely mid-pack, but three other British girls finished ahead of her on Saturday and none of those three have been selected for Tokyo. Will this put a doubt in her mind at all, coming up to the Olympics? Will it give her the drive to graft even harder over the coming months? Will it even give Team GB coaches reason to think about whether they should focus on getting Georgia to the front in Tokyo or will they instead get the team working for one of the other two, Jess Learmonth or Vicky Holland instead? Lots of very, very interesting questions to be answered over the next few months. And the ugly. One thing that definitely wasn't ugly was the fact that paratriathlon got exposure at this event and will continue to get exposure in the future because Super League Triathlon have promised that they will make it bigger and better and they were trying things out by introducing paratriathlon to this event. So the para-triathletes were out this morning, the first time the para-tri has been involved in Super League and we're so happy to have para-triathlon. We had a host of Paralympic medalists and world champions in a teams event here uh, in the London Aquatic Centre, a 20-strong field. So we're optimistic for what they will do with para-tri in the future. But what I thought was a little bit ugly was that para-triathlon only got a 2 minutes 52 seconds highlights package and that was it. I don't want to believe that Super League Triathlon were just ticking a box by including Paratriathlon and not giving it their undivided support. 
but it's hard not to feel a bit frustrated at the lack of live coverage these brilliant athletes ended up with. The elite able-bodied athletes got uninterrupted live footage with interviews between stages, as I mentioned, with the whole program rolling out to over two hours. And what did the paratriathletes get? Not even three minutes of a highlights reel. With the commentator not even knowing their names. Oh, I'll get to that in a minute. They deserve better. And Super League Triathlon can do a lot better. It's hard not to watch that blink and you'll miss it highlights package of the paratri and think it was basically being used as a warm-up act for the main event and giving camera operators a chance to practice their shots and not much more. These athletes, as you well know from the Paralympics in previous years, are superhuman. Why wasn't the duel between Claire Cashmore and Lauren Stedman given primetime live coverage? Or George Peasgood, bright hope for a medal in Tokyo, not featured more highly? Or why did we not get the chance to marvel at Yetza Platt grinding through the gears on his handbike, built like a WWE wrestler? A worldwide audience and all those thousands around the globe probably walked away from Saturday none the wiser about paratriathlon and the brilliant athletes who make it the great sport that it is. Triathlon journalist and contributor to 220 Triathlon, Tim Hemming, commented on Twitter after the event on Saturday saying that he was hugely impressed by the paratriathletes and made the counter-argument to people ranting, like me, that when it's a pioneering brand new event like this was, having extensive coverage might not have been the best thing. He said that issues included multiple paratri classes equals low numbers per class, visually impaired athletes don't have their guides, prosthetics on self-propelled treadmills might not work so well, there are so many timing systems when you have different categories to factor in, Zwift isn't quite there with avatars for paratriathletes, and Tim went on to say that Super League Triathlon needs time to try and do justice to an entertaining and understandable live broadcast against all those challenges. Yeah, so I, of course, want to see the paratriathletes covered in a respectful and visually impressive and understandable way. But Super League Triathlon could comfortably have done that without chopping the footage down to less than three minutes of rushed highlights. And the whole six weeks notice thing. You look at all the PR videos released on YouTube before the event relating to the able-bodied athletes. Six weeks is more than enough time to get a few paratri features recorded and test your camera options for the big day. The costumes too. All the able-bodied athletes got pristine Super League Triathlon branded tri-suits in different bold, easy to spot colours and with their names emblazoned in large writing across their backs. What did the paratri athletes have? Just their own everyday tri-suits. No official Super League branded gear, no bright colours. In fact, it looked like Michael Taylor in his paratriathlon category had to borrow a tri-suit off his friend George Peasgood. I think this is the case because Taylor won a gold medal in his own event wearing a Team GB tri-suit with the name Peasgood across the front. And this was only made more noticeable by the fact that the commentator on the dismally short highlights package twice referred to Michael Taylor on the screen as George Peasgood just because that was the name he saw on the tri-suit. Here is George Peasgood who picked up one of those beautiful golden Super League triathlon medals. <coughs> George Peasgood is on your screen right now, the PTS5. <coughs> First, that sort of commentary mistake would never be made if Johnny Brownlee was wearing a tri-suit saying Gomez for the day, for example. 
And secondly, do your research. Know who the athletes are, regardless of what they're wearing. And anyway, this wouldn't be an issue if there was genuine equality and they were all given the same branded outfits as the able-bodied athletes in the first place. The other thing that I wasn't mad keen on was the choice of interview timings. Thrusting microphones into athletes' hands at the worst possible times. I thought Vasco Velasa was brilliant. After winning his first stage, he got handed the mic while he was trying to set stuff up around his treadmill. And he just gave a one-word answer and that was it. And basically put the microphone down. (laughs) He wasn't having any time for it. But I've mentioned all that already and I won't get into it again. I'm not an old man who doesn't approve of innovation. Absolutely not. I think Super League Triathlon is the future. I really do. Despite my suggestions for how Saturday could have been better. I only throw these things out there because I want to see it become the stunning spectacle that I know it can be. And that seems like a good thing for me to chat about in conclusion. Super League Triathlon and their arena games this past weekend, despite its glitches, was still amazing entertainment. I was glued to it. I loved the dynamic camera work. I was absolutely buzzing sitting at home trying to keep an eye on about three things at once, whether it was the Zwift avatars, the heart rate readings, the average speeds, the look of exhaustion on the athletes' faces. It was breathless, brilliant sport and definitely one of the best sporting events I've seen since the first lockdown came in over a year ago. I firmly believe that this is the future of the sport of triathlon. Audiences demand interaction and stats on screen, and this virtual style of racing is exactly the kick up the rear end that triathlon needed after maybe becoming a little bit stale for the mainstream audience with just the routine 1.5k swim, 40k cycle, 10k runs, the same footage of the same athletes at the front end for nearly two hours, and if you make it through all that, you might just find out who wins. I think the traditional Olympic Games format is safe, for now at least, but Triathlon is a young sport. It was only created in the 70s. So we should be open to changes and innovation. And that's everything that Super League Triathlon embodies. As long as the gimmicks don't get in the way of the performance. Which most of the time on Saturday they didn't. And it would be great, of course, to see some of our para-triathlon heroes getting better exposure than they were allowed last weekend. Having said all that, I loved it. And a big, big shout out to all the medalists who turned out incredible performances to make it so enjoyable to watch. And it's just great to have triathlon racing on again and put out on our TV screens and on our laptops. Hopefully restrictions are coming to an end. Hopefully it won't just be the pros. We will be able to get out soon and take part in races of our own close to where we live this summer. That's all I want to chat about for now. If you want to get in touch about how you felt the Super League games went at the weekend, what did you make of it? Do you think it could have been done better? Have I missed any of the star performances that you'd like me to mention next time? If so, get in touch with me at trymeariver at gmail.com. That is trymeariver at gmail.com. Or find me on Twitter at trymeariver. All one word. We'll have more episodes coming out soon. It's April. Don't be a fool. Get out in the sunshine. Hop on that bike. Lap it up. And I will see you soon.